Hello, and welcome to Cool Story Guys. I'm Jeff. I'm Ethan. And this is the beginning of a brand new season, and thus, a brand new story. Welcome back to everybody who listened to the first season, and for those of you who didn't, this is a perfectly good place to pick the podcast up. Ethan, you ready for a fresh start? Oh my gosh, am I. What are you excited to do or not do again? Jeff, I'm excited to actually put my creativity into fantasy worlds yet again. It's been a while. I took a bit of a break, as we've talked about over the last few months. Um, And I haven't been writing. I've done a lot more video producing and those sort of things. So I just, I'm ready to create worlds with you, Jeff. I'm ready to create worlds with you. I'm very glad you've been sharpening the skills needed for an audio podcast. That really warms my heart. (laughs) I've listened to them. I haven't done anything that's going to make my abilities less so. But we'll see what happens, man. Sure. What are you most excited to do or not do again? I'm really excited about the collaboration process again. It's been a while, you know, specifically from the writing perspective. What I'm not excited about is having to keep track of a very convoluted and complex fantasy world that we may or may not have lost control of halfway through our last novel. Sure. Not looking forward to that. (laughs) What about you? Similarly, I am most excited for the chance to not have to build up every piece of a world from scratch this time around. At the beginning of each season, we don't even know what kind of story we're going to be writing. That, like everything else on this podcast, is determined by the roll of the dice. We've got six different possibilities, and depending on which one we roll, right here, it narrows down the genre of what kind of story we can tell. The first time around, we rolled high fantasy, which meant we had to create a whole new world. And then, because of the rolls that followed, we pretty much had to blow that whole world up. (laughs) But this time, we've got a good chance of writing a completely different kind of story. You want to give us the six options, Ethan? Yes. So, from the genre perspective, we've got high fantasy low fantasy, magical realism, science fiction, historical fiction slash alternate reality, or spooky supernatural. These are generally considered the five different types of fiction, with us differentiating between low and high fantasy. The last time we rolled, high fantasy was a four, but this time we've put it as a one. It's a critical fail because neither one of us really want to write another high fantasy story again this time. (laughs) But there's still the chance that we have to. You, you've, I take it from your laughter that you feel the same way about it, Ethan. Yeah, I, I just, I think it was so funny because in the first one, we were both sort of excited to write a high fantasy because you had kind of had some momentum from a story that you wrote and I had never written high fantasy. But I just love that it's now a critical fail. That's, that's excellent. Yeah, that's a one. A two is low fantasy, which can be a bit confusing because the name low sort of implies lesser. But in this context, it just means that the scope of the fantasy is a bit less fantastic, at least as far as the setting is concerned. Low fantasy is set on Earth, while high fantasy is on a completely different world with its own rules. So, book report, Ethan. What books are high fantasy? Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, um, Dune. Correct. Oh, wait, Dune's not. (laughs) Dune's science fiction. Uh, Dune straddles the line. Between science fiction and high fantasy. It straddles the line. Yeah. Uh, other yeah. other high fantasy books that people like, The Wheel of Time, Broken Earth, both very high fantasy. Low fantasy books, Harry Potter, American Gods, at least the first two books of His Dark Materials that are set, you know, in real London. If we roll a three, that's magical realism. And that's where there's some magic in the real world. Like there might be a portal in the train station 
but it's not going to take the protagonist to a magic school where they spend 99% of the story. <laughs> the majority of these stories are set in reality, but the reality is altered in some fantastic way. So think Haruki Murakami, a lot of Neil Gaiman stories, and Gabriel Garcia Marquez. If we roll a four, that'll be science fiction. And we talk about science fiction essentially replace the magic with high technology. Yeah, I particularly don't want to write science fiction because I feel like good science fiction is smarter than me in a way that I feel like other genres aren't. (laughs) And like we were able to write a good fantasy story that made sense because it relied on the strength of our imaginations and not on the strength of our intellects. (laughs) And I feel like that's what makes good science fiction good and that is not playing to our strengths. Well, I mean, going off of what I said, Jeff, you could always replace magic with science, but then explain magic with that science. And there you go. You've solved your problem. But yeah, I agree with you. I hope we don't get science fiction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If we roll a five, that will be historical fiction or alternate reality. And when we're talking about this, we're talking about a story based in a world that everybody knows and is familiar with. However, there may be certain people or places or events that are changed around to fit the story. For instance, Man in the High Castle is a really good example of historical fiction alternate reality. I feel like the hardest thing about this one, if we roll it, is figuring out which history to fool around or make an alternate version of. Yeah. Like, that decision seems very hard. It really does, and I think that makes me really nervous because I think there are certain time periods that don't get touched very often, and certain time periods that do, but the ones that do are pretty interesting. You know, World War II, the Civil War, at least from the American perspective, have been heavily, heavily worked on, uh, whereas not many people talk about the French Revolution from an alternate reality perspective. So yeah, this could be very, very interesting for us. I would mess with this one a lot. (laughs) If we roll this, I would go back to like the moment when the dog that would eventually become a whale went into the water and just turn it into a sweet land dog instead of a sweet water whale <laughs> and be like, yeah, it's it's alternate history. It didn't go in the water and become the whale. Well, I guess, and it also is dependent on how far reaching is the history that we deal with, you know? Do we follow that dog whale minus whale reality and then see a future where there are no whales because that dog just didn't commit? I don't know. Leaves a lot to be thought about, Jeff. I mean... I'm excited to explore dog minus whale reality, personally. <laughs> you've you've sold me. I want a five. <laughs> oh, this story is already garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, if we roll a six, we will be rolling the one that I think Jeff is even less excited about writing than science fiction, a spooky supernatural tale that we are not committing to calling horror because Jeff said, I do not want to write a pure horror book, which I agree with. That's fine. What do you think of when you think spooky supernatural? Well, I mean, of the two of us, you are the supernatural guy. I don't particularly like being spooked, so I'm not super inclined to spend my time trying to spook anybody else. But I am curious what kind of thing I would produce if we rolled this. Yeah. Because it's out of my wheelhouse. I think I would probably just spend too many paragraphs describing all the different ways that something looked damp, and then that's pretty much just horror writing, right? (laughs) Thank you for using damp and not moist. That is horror writing in and of itself. I was trying to be considerate of our audience, Ethan. (laughs) Now our podcast is finally going to get found in all the algorithms because I said the word (laughs) moist. Congratulations, Jeff. We did it. Yes. 
So only a few decades ago, it seemed like actually most of fantasy writing was horror writing. And do you know where I learned that bit of information? I do not. From a haunted book. (laughs) You want to hear the story about the haunted book I stole, Ethan? (laughs) I I do. I, I really, really do. I took it from a log cabin deep in the Mount Baker rainforests in northwestern Washington. The cabin is well over 100 years old, and I've been going there since I was born. It's furnished with all this amazing furniture from the 1970s that's still in pristine condition. And there are all these perfectly preserved old books there, a long, defunct sort of lending library. And they had a copy of the World Fantasy Awards Volume 2 from 1980, with a sweet painting by Roger Dean on the cover. And I was like... There's no one who's ever going to be more excited to have this book around than me. So I took it, and I didn't leave a book in its place. Now, I was really surprised when I read it, and I found out that the fantasy of 1980 was almost entirely supernatural spooky stuff. (laughs) But what was more surprising was what started happening to me after I took the book. I started to feel creakier in my joints, started getting weird pains that I had never felt before. I got gout. Which sucks, I can't even eat Haribos anymore. And the hair I have left started turning gray. You know, just years of slow deterioration. All since I took the book from the creepy log cabin in the deep woods and didn't leave one behind in its place. Abusing the lending library has led to a terrible curse, Ethan. I know that if I were ever able to get back to those woods and return the book, my body would stop reacting so terribly to the passage of time. But I live in Europe now, and Washington is very far away. So I am stuck with this curse. We got it, bud. Let's just use that. <laughs> yeah, I wrote our I wrote our spooky story. We don't even have to do it now. Age. The, the, the Jeff Kirby story. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. So now we should roll. Do you want to roll first or should I roll first? Um, you know what? I'm going to leave you to be the first roll because I'm really nervous. And my hand's really sweaty. I'm just afraid it's going to mess up. All right. Here goes nothing. I have rolled a six. Ooh. We are doing a spooky supernatural story. <laughs> oh, man. All good right. thing you have that story fresh in your mind, Jeff, because that's a good transition for us. I just used it. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Huh? I mean, I guess there was plenty of space left to describe how damp the forest was. <laughs> You've got to be ecstatic about this. We, we we rolled my genre the first time around, and this time we rolled yours. Yes, which is nice. Good for us. Has this been sixes both times? No, it was a four the first time around. Four, that's right. Okay, yeah. I am excited about this. However, I'm also excited because we gave ourselves some wiggle room with calling this spooky supernatural as opposed to horror, which means that there's a lot that we can do. We have a lot of flexibility here. And, you know, magic, to some degree, is supernatural. You know, witches, wizards, that's all supernatural. So there's things that we can play with, but thematically, we need to make sure that people at some point in the story become unsettled, I would say. And I'm really good at unsettling people, generally speaking. So I'm just, this is 100% in my wheelhouse. So I'm looking forward to this. How are you feeling, Jeff? I mean, I gotta say, I was hoping for something that was going to have a little bit of a brighter tone this season. Mm -hmm. Last season, we got high fantasy. And then on the very first plot roll, we had a global catastrophe. And we had to spend the whole rest of the book with people in a high fantasy world dealing with their world dying. Mm -hmm. And it was just sort of a bummer vibe. And the very first roll is 
bummer vibe because that's like the heart of spooky supernatural is people are getting bummed out you know yeah you're right but i think i mean casper the friendly ghost that's supernatural you know there's nothing to be said for supernatural entities having different vibes you know what i mean i think uh it's a bit prejudice of us to just say oh you're supernatural so you're a bummer i think we need to kind of maybe open our minds a little bit jeff i think actually this season is going to be a good lesson for you yeah, I'm going to adjust my attitude. I'm just going to think about the cool stuff that I can do with Supernatural and not being a bummer with Spooky. <laughs> I'm going to go full bummer, so it'll complement each other pretty well. <laughs> okay, yeah, great. <laughs> so the next role that we're going to do, which is a new category this time around, and it will give us a little bit more focus, is a subgenre. We've got six more choices of the subgenre to Spooky Supernatural. And that is either going to be romance, coming of age, self-improvement, moral imperative, humorous observation of the human condition, a la Kurt Vonnegut, or technology versus nature. The critical fail we have on this one is the king and or queen of critical fails in romance. I hope we don't get that. Neither one of us want to write a spooky romance story. Although, honestly, if we wrote a spooky romance story, more people would probably listen to it, because that's a very popular combination these days. Do you think our search engine demographic just completely shoots the other way? You know, like we're targeting a very specific group of people with fantasy, and then now it's romance, and we just can't interact or relate with the people reading our story? That would be fun, because social media is difficult enough the way it is. So, oh boy. And you know what? This is my role, too, isn't it? Yep. Let's talk a little bit about these, though, because these are sort of, uh, some of these are a little more out there. Yeah. So, you know, romance, coming of age, self-improvement, those are all pretty straightforward. Moral imperative, we're talking about, like, the protagonist has a wrong that they are trying to right, and that is guiding their path. Humorous observation of the human condition, I would love. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm a huge Kurt Vonnegut fan. And telling a story where you're just sort of trying to get at the heart of why people do these fundamental things is a great way of telling a story if you can do it well. And I've never really tried, but it's, you know, Vonnegut is one of my favorite authors. So I would love that sort of added pressure of, okay, try to write this thing in a way that, you know, you have adored for so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the last one, yeah, technology versus nature. We sort of did in our last book to an extent, but it wasn't necessarily the subgenre. And there's a million different ways to write Avatar. So, <laughs> trees, trees that people are in love with. <laughs> That's exactly it. I'm in Vonnegut country, man. So that would be, yeah, that would be pretty poetic. That would be a good challenge and a good juxtaposition to a genre that people don't normally lean on when they're trying to deal with the human condition. So yeah, I think I, I, I agree with you on that one. I'm excited about that. I do like the idea of self-improvement, though. But in my mind, it's like 10 ways to become a more masculine male type self-improvement. And I need to I need to recalibrate myself on that because that would be a horrible book. And neither one of us is in a position to be giving anybody advice. So. <laughs> well, I mean, but you make it spooky and you got something special, maybe. Ten Ways to Say Damp in a Spooky Manner by Jeff Kirby and Ethan Moses. <laughs> All right, give us a roll, Ethan. And here we go. A three. Self-improvement. So wow, we, oh. we keep calling these. Oh, uh, we need to stop. 
We need to stop. Okay, so how how are you feeling about that? Oh, I mean, self-improvement is fine. I mean, I'm glad, honestly, that it was not romance or coming of age. Those are the two that I don't want to write about romance and I don't want to put kids in my book. Yeah. So self-improvement is one of the better choices for sure. How we are going to do a self-improvement spooky supernatural one, that's an interesting combo that like running the math in my head before doing this, I wasn't sure if those two ever paired up. Yeah. I mean, what are you thinking when you're thinking self-improvement from this perspective? Are, are, are we talking about a, an individual, you know, a, a location, event? I mean, how broad are we going to be with this? What do you mean? Because self-improvement implies that it has to deal with a character, but I suppose it could be a whole bunch of people who need to improve themselves. A whole town of sleazebags. A whole town of sleazebag zombies <laughs> who need to rehabilitate their flesh. Ooh, rehabilitated flesh. That would have been great for a romance genre. But uh, yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, rehabilitated flesh is the front runner for the name of the book so far. (laughs) That could be (laughs) self-improvement. Good job, Ethan. Did it again. The next category we're going to roll is scale. So let's start off with number one, which will be a room or a house. So very, very small scale. Not much flexibility there. Number two would be a neighborhood or a town. Three would be a country. Four would be a global story, so just focusing on one world. Five would be interplanetary. And six would be multiple realms and realities, which is the one that I'm most excited about. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, that's the new addition to the list. We kept it mostly the same from the last time around. But on the first list, five was interplanetary and six was entire universe. And we thought about it and we just thought that they were too similar. Like once you're stuck with space travel, What's the difference between if you can go to Mars or if you can go all the way to the other side of the universe? It's still a spaceship story. So the multiple realms realities one could be very complicated, but it could also be very cool. I think it's got the the biggest risk and the biggest reward. How would you feel if we got the critical fail of a single room or a house? You know, it seems like it would be terrible, but there are workarounds. I recently just re-listened to the first two King Killer Chronicle books by Patrick Rothfuss while I'm sort of impatiently waiting for him to finish the third. And even though it's a story that goes all over the world, technically it more or less all takes place within a single inn where the protagonist is telling the story of his life. And then in that story, it goes to a bunch of different places. So I think if we rolled a one, I would absolutely take a cop out like that. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. There's only so much you can do with, with a room or a house. So yeah, okay. And actually, you saying that makes me feel a lot better. and makes you feel like maybe a one's not necessarily the same level of critical fail that the romance would be. So I'm happy. Thank you, Jeff, for, for, for making me feel better. It's also much more in the tradition of like a stage play where it all takes place in one setting. So it would be a completely different kind of story, but it would be it would be manageable. Yeah, cool. That said, let's figure out what we have to do. Our story is set in multiple realms and realities. Oh. I have rolled another six. <laughs> okay, but that lends itself really well to spooky and supernatural. Yeah, it really does. And I'm very happy about this. A lot of flexibility. 
I was a little bit worried with interplanetary because I just, I don't know how you feel. Like, I like some space stuff, but I feel like it's very difficult to explain space when you're a dum-dum like me. Sure. And flying around in space and whatnot. I mean, I guess I could avoid that with any number of different ways, but I like the fact that we can be flexible and multiple realms are cool. And that's a big thing. People are really into the multiverse right now, you know? So uh, we're going to be able to put that uh, SEO tag in there and and, and get some of that sweet, <laughs> sweet eyeballs or earballs. What? Eardrums? One of those things onto our podcast. I think earballs is the correct answer. We're going to start calling it earballs. And that'll also be another SEO tag that hopefully we get some interesting <laughs> traffic from. I will say that Having just seen Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is by far the best piece of media about multiple realities that I have ever seen, I'm a little bit scared Mm -hmm. because somebody has just set the bar extremely high in this sort of scale. But nobody who listens to this podcast is expecting us to create something quite that brilliant. So I need to remember that. But yeah, having just had this year, an example of something so good is a little bit daunting. Well, you know, Jeff, just get onto Netflix and you will find a multitude of shows that have taken the multiple realms realities idea and set the bar very, very low. So if we can come somewhere in the middle, I think we'll be perfectly fine. Yeah. So we want to be above like the CW, but below everything everywhere all at once. Exactly. And then we'll find a sweet spot somewhere. That's pretty good. That's pretty easy. (laughs) Okay. So we've got our scale. Now we need a setting for that scale. Yes. So the list here is rural, urban, nature, not on the ground, Inside of something else, and Ecumenopolis, which is a planet-wide city. And on this one, we got pretty funky from the last time around, because we had a lot of, like, desert and snow and water, and the last book was technically a water book. And I realized, kind of like with the space travel of the role before, you know, what's the difference? It's just nature is nature. Yeah. So the higher numbers in this role let us get pretty weird. Yeah. And we're already going to multiple realms and realities So I'm hoping that we get another weird one here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oof. There's one of these I'm eyeballing right now that I'm just, there's just so many different ideas. Which one is that? Number five. We've called it every time. So, okay. (laughs) So you want, you want inside of something else. Oh God, me too. Multiple realities inside of something else. I don't know if I want inside of something else, especially with the damp talk we've been talking about. (laughs) Um, We've avoided romance, which is a good thing, but yeah. Um, I'm eyeballing it, you know, not unlike I would eyeball a man in a long trench coat at a bar. Not sure how I feel about it, you know. Cool, glad you wore that, but you seem suspicious. So yeah, that's the way I'm looking at number five. I'm not eyeballing it like a sandwich, you know. All right, well, our fate is in your hands this time. So tell us the setting of our story, Ethan. Okay, here we go. One. Rural. Okay, we've got a rural setting that's you know, a critical fail. It is the most boring of all of these. (laughs) But you particularly like writing about small towns that have been beset by some supernatural horror. So this is really playing to your strengths. Jeff, every story I think I've ever written in my entire life, from inception to now, has been about supernatural occurrences (laughs) in a rural setting I can't say I'm excited because I think what we learned from the last story was that, you know, having a challenge is pretty good. I'm in a role setting right now, at least compared to Berlin. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, the other genres play into this pretty well, but 
Yeah, it is boring. You're 100% right. It's boring, but rural means something very different depending on the time period. Yes, you are right. And that's our next role. So depending on what we get for the time period, a rural setting is going to be something very different. So for this role, we've got bone hammers, ambiguous middle ages, dystopian near future, post-apocalyptic far future, intergalactic spaceship, or several intertwined. Oof. Boy, yeah, we definitely have an even bigger critical fail on this one. (laughs) So just to kind of explain the bone hammers for people that didn't listen to last season, um, if you haven't, you should. You know, when we're talking about bone hammers, we're talking about primal days, you know, cavemen, saber-toothed tigers, that sort of thing, which, boy, oh boy, would that be interesting with a rural spooky setting. Um, Ambiguous Middle Ages, pretty self-explanatory. Got your knights and your castles and such things. Serfdom, which people love nowadays. I do not want this. You don't want Middle Ages? Every fantasy story is set in some sort of ambiguous Middle Age, and I feel like it has to be on the list. But like, everybody's over that, it feels like. Like, come up with a new idea that is not just ambiguous Middle Ages. I do love the idea, though, while I'm chiming in of somebody's cave that they live in being more rural than somebody (laughs) else's cave that they live in. I can't wait to distinguish that. One and two, yeah, one and two, it's interesting. Actually, now that now that you mentioned that, those both could be critical fails in one way or another. Um, definitely definitely going to be a challenge. The next one would be dystopian near future, which I think we exist in already. So <laughs> that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Post-apocalyptic far future. I mean, I think you were talking about everyone's kind of tired of Middle Ages. I would say people are just as tired of post-apocalyptic far future related stories. We've got so many of them very ominous in this day and age. The post-apocalyptic far future almost always just curves back around to ambiguous Middle Ages, too. Yeah. Like, the only difference is that there is the chance that you can find some old tech or something. But they're very similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that difference between tech and time period is, is something that we may have some flexibility in the further down this list we get, which I hope. I definitely, again, I've already mentioned this, do not want intergalactic spaceship, because I don't know how we're going to explain a rural intergalactic spaceship. Um, I have no idea. That'll be pretty interesting. I just imagine a man on a spaceship equivalent of a tractor complaining about everybody on a different planet (laughs) and how they're not giving enough to society. I don't know. Could be interesting. Oh, there's ghosts in that as well. I have to mention that. This is creepy. And then six, several intertwined I mean, that's our six tends to be our cop out type category, which we can just play with however we want. In this particular situation, I think it would be nice to have a six because I think we need flexibility based on previous roles. But Jeff, I'm going to hand this to you to roll and and roll well, my friend roll well. Well, I mean, I have rolled two sixes so far. So let's see if uh, the demon lord is with us on this story or not, because I want a six as well. I've rolled a one. This is bone hammers. Oh my god. Rural bone hammers. Oh boy. Okay. Um It is what it is, man. It is what it is. <laughs> I mean, we have nailed our feet to the floor. Um wow, this'll be I mean I mean we both know that there's, you know, ways to play with this, but boy, bone hammers is the one that I've been really worried about. I do like the the show Primal. Have you seen that? Yeah, Primal Rules. That's a really good show. And honestly, I like the idea of prehistoric supernatural stuff. Yeah. 
that's like more exciting to me than medieval supernatural stuff. Like what kind of weird arcane arts can we conjure with Neanderthals? It is going to be cool. The one question I will go ahead and state live is, are we going to go so far back that our characters don't have the ability to speak? Or can we give ourselves a little bit of leeway and allow them to speak the English language so that the entire story is not grunts and finger pointing? Absolutely. We, there, there's going to be language. I think that there will be, you know, some form of written language as well, but we're going to be in the time period, you know, before agriculture. Okay. So we got hunter gatherers. Maybe we have tents. Are we okay with tents? Yeah, of course. Cool. I'm really worried about that. Yeah, I mean, they're going to need shelter. They don't have to live in a cave. I mean, here's the thing. We also have to exist in multiple realities with this. Yes. So there's a lot of weird stuff that we get to, that we are forced to play with in this story now, which I really like. I think the bone hammer one was really quite literally a bone hammer in the wagon wheel <laughs> that just completely threw this story on a very strange course. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. No, I think you're right. I'm getting more excited now. I, I, I was I was pale faced and now I'm a little bit more excited. So oh boy. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so we have a new thing that we decided to add that isn't quite a role, but it was another limiting factor, and that was that Ethan and I were going to each give each other one stipulation of something that both of us either had to add to the story or could not add to the story. And based on these rules, my stipulation is now completely null and void. <laughs> so I have to think of a new one now. My original stipulation, Ethan, was that I was going to tell you that there could be no guns. Yeah, which is, which is yeah, that's probably good. I've become more and more leery of guns since coming back to America. So <laughs> that, that works perfectly fine. That would actually really help yeah. me. My stipulation also is kind of null and void, is that I was going to try to push us away from being so stuck in environmental themes, but we have no choice now. That is what they live in, so. <laughs> okay, so do we just not want to give each other stipulations, or do we want to come up with new ones on the fly? Oh, I already thought of one that you mentioned earlier in the story, Jeff. I'm going to really expect you to develop at least three children, care or us to develop three child characters throughout the story. Why are you doing this to me? Why? Because I think it's funny, because I think your obsession with old people is is uh, is off-putting to our <laughs> to our audience. We cannot have a full story full of old <laughs> men and women trying their best to navigate a primeval world. We need some kids. I simply venerate my elders, Ethan. <laughs> I'm not always trying to write cocoon, despite what you insist. <laughs> You're constantly writing cocoon. That, that that last story had so many cocoon elements. Give me a second to think of my stipulation. Gotcha. Okay, then I'm going to say that we will have no romantic subplots. I'm 100% into that. Okay, fine. Easy. Then yours was punitive and mine was collaborative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, as if, yeah, this story isn't punitive enough in the way it has developed. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. Okay, and next, we are going to roll to see who goes first. Because last time I wrote the first chapter which meant Ethan got to write the last chapter. And, you know, whoever gets the first chapter of the book is really going to set the trajectory for the story. So instead of just deciding, we're going to roll for it. So whoever gets a higher roll 
starts the book. How about that, Ethan? That sounds really good. How do you feel about that? Because writing the last chapter of the the story at first was like, oh, that's not a big deal. But man, that's a lot of pressure. But but so is the first chapter, honestly. So what are you feeling? Are you do you want to write the first chapter? Um, yeah, I do want to write the first chapter. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be straight up with you. I have I absolutely want to write the first chapter because then I feel like I get to set some very important parameters for the thing that I'm going to be working on for the next several months to a year. And it's not that I don't trust you. It's just that I would prefer to keep those things within my own reach. And what role specifically in these categories did you determine that you definitely wanted to be the first one to write the first chapter? Uh, Spooky Supernatural, for (laughs) sure. Because if I let you sort of dictate what type of spooky supernatural we're dealing with from the onset, then it could get away from me very quickly. Oh, yeah. But uh, let me tell you, this is a place where you and I come from fundamentally different camps in what we produce and what we enjoy reading and watching. Yeah. So, you know, the collaboration of this project means that we have to find a middle ground, but I want to be the one to find the middle ground. (laughs) Well, you know, chapter two and chapter four tend to be the chapters where the story gets turned on its head. So either way, I'm going to put something weird in there, Jeff. Just be ready. I know. I'm ready for it. Okay, so let's this time let's roll a 20-sided dice. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yep. I've rolled a 19. What does that mean? I mean, whoever we decided whoever rolled the highest number goes first. Oh, that's right. Okay, sorry. What did, what did you roll? I haven't rolled. I didn't roll. I forgot. I thought we were just roll. I don't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Okay. Here we go. 17. Wow. Wow. That was very close. Very close. Okay. But I will be starting off the storytelling this time again. Are you okay with that? Yeah. No, I am. Are you sad that you don't get get the first word? No, I think that's okay. Because we had talked about how, you know, you handle concept of of multiple realms and realities in previous conversations and i do like to build off of of stories and i i I felt pretty excited about building off the story that you began last time so no i'm 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 happy with that honestly this was one of those roles that i was pretty indifferent about you know so yeah i'm I'm happy for you jeff i'm happy that you can maintain the control that you love (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know there's pros and cons to both it means I get the first word, but you get the last word. Yeah, and and the last one is when a spaceship lands and hands off all of the primal characters' guns, and I just say, screw it, and then they have this just big Hong Kong action movie-style shootout with a bunch of flying kicks and whatnot. So that's already in my mind. That's what I'm going to do. I'll find a way around it. This is fair. I didn't get my gun stipulation because I was naive enough to think that you wouldn't be able to put guns in my Neanderthal story. I just actually really like the idea of Neanderthals doing Kung Fu now. I was 100% joking and playing to the audience, but I'm going to have a big think about that. You should. We have infinite alternate realities, which we are forced to play inside. And so Ninja Neanderthals, why not? (laughs) Gotta be spooky, though. Okay, so we have got the parameters of our story. We are doing a spooky supernatural story with a subgenre of self-improvement. I forgot about that one. Oof. These Neanderthals have to self-improve. That's not that hard for Neanderthals, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> the scale of it is in multiple realms and realities. The setting is rural. 
and the time period is bone hammers. So we've got a we've got a very specific thing that we have to do and within that there's so much wiggle room to do whatever we want. Yeah. It's just really weird wiggle room, isn't it? <laughs> it's not like we're going to wiggle into a comfortable position, <laughs> you know? It's not like the blankets come off our feet and we're just going to readjust that. But yeah, we've got wiggle room. But Ethan, we've got lots more dice rolls that are going to tell us what we can and can't do with the story. (laughs) So those who have listened to the podcast before are familiar with the Fate Index, but for those of you who are just joining us, every time we write a chapter, Ethan and I both roll a 20-sided die, and that roll matches up to something that we call the Fate Index, which has 20 different plot points. Every time we use one of those suggestions, the plot point goes away, and we have to replace it. And that's where you, the listener, come in. So every chapter, two of the plot points go away, and we need to put two more in. For these first 20, we've sort of got a combination of ones that were left over from the last story that our listeners had submitted to us, and we didn't want to throw it completely. And then we've got some new ones that we've added ourselves. After the first two that we roll here, which will tell us what will happen in the first episode then we will kindly ask the listeners to submit new ones, and they will be entered into the Fate Index, and chances are they're going to happen at some point over the course of the story. Yep. So let's go through the list. We didn't read all 20 of them on the uh, opening episode last time, but that's also because the last time we did the podcast, we didn't tell people what the roles were before the chapter. Because we didn't want the surprise to be given away, especially if there was something like a character death. And we had plenty of options on the Fate Index the first time around for character deaths. And, you know, we didn't want to spoil that. We killed everyone in that first book. (laughs) Right away. Spoiler alert. And so we decided not to add any roles like that back into the Fate Index this time around. But... We thought it was more interesting this time to do the roles in the episode before the chapter, and then people could have it in their mind and sort of know what they're looking for, rather than have these sort of 20 nebulous ideas that they never were going to know what one of the options were and be like, oh, yeah, I guess they did this one thing. So it seemed more fun to roll them ahead of time. Do you agree, Ethan? Oh, yeah. And I think we even got feedback from people listening to the podcast that while they liked the story, they really enjoyed the podcast episode. So we kind of flipped our focus around a little bit so that people kind of knew what was coming up. And so they could kind of play with those ideas in their head and kind of question what we were going to do with the choices as opposed to what choices they were in the first place, which I think is pretty exciting. So let's go through the list. I'll read them through quickly because there's 20 of them. Starting from the top with a one- Nothing happens when something is supposed to happen. (laughs) And that is left over from the first book. The first 10 or so are left over from the final fate index of our last story. I loved that one so much, but that is a true critical fail that you expect something to happen and then just nothing. I love being forced to add that in. It wasn't a critical fail last time around, but we've moved it to that spot on the list in case we roll a one. This one was the one that we were worried about, but also kind of excited about happening on the very last chapter. Um, we would do, <laughs> or, or excuse me, the chapter before. Yeah, I loved the idea of <laughs> nothing happens when something is supposed to happen, rolling for the climax of a book. <laughs> okay, moving on. Character loses one of their senses. Mm-hmm. Extended stream of consciousness. Protagonist's identity is thrown into question. People begin to question their belief system. 
A weakness is discovered by accident. A great artifact of the past is found, calling to a new owner. That would be fun in Neanderthal times. Yeah, we're going to say, what past is that there? Yeah. That- <laughs> Social faux pas has serious consequences. The inevitable end is actually a rebirth. A member of the community who is relied upon heavily disappears. Spirits of the dead begin to spill secrets. Monotony is broken. Religious indoctrination. Body swap. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Rules are disregarded. A tenuous bond is formed. Life is too good. Something is awakened. And a new adventure begins. You got any of those that uh, stand out to you immediately as something you would love to start a story off with, Ethan? Well, I mean, I'm generally happy that these are a lot broader than some of the ones we had in the beginning, which is a good thing. You know, if we're talking about cop-out related choices, I mean, number nine, the inevitable end is actually a rebirth, is a pretty good way to create an entirely new place to function, time period, whatever. Or open up multiple realities. I like that. I I always just like that idea because, you know, especially nowadays, people are so consumed with the end just being the end and... You know, if we look at history itself, a lot of different civilizations and, and, and whatnot have ended only to create something maybe better, arguably better. So I like that. I also like the idea of life is too good. Mm-hmm. Those that watched Wally understand that concept of, you know, a species <laughs> losing its fundamental qualities because, you know, things are just kind of given to it. And that would be interesting to place that into the time period and the technology level we have because everybody knows that, like, you know, that period, people only live to like 30 years old and whatnot. So it'd be interesting to see how we explain life is too good in that perspective. What about you? I would like one that opens things up to at least one of the of the roles that we just did, because we're not going to be able to tackle all of the different parameters necessarily within the first chapter or even the second chapter. If we put everything that the story needs to be right at the beginning, that's just bad form. Yeah. Like you want to slowly reveal things. So I would like one of these like spirits of the dead begin to spill secrets that give a natural sort of segue into the supernatural or into the multiple realities. Mm -hmm. Because we sort of have to, we have to be careful about how we layer these things together. All of the elements need to be there. The Fate Index has told us that it must be so. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to throw all of that together in the first couple chapters. Yeah. And I think we handled that pretty well in the last story, to be quite honest. So I think um, I have faith in our ability to do so. But again, I also feel very comfortable that none of these are are the put the story on its head type choices that maybe we had the last time. One of them being an apocalyptic situation, which you rolled, which dictated literally the pace of the book the entire time. Yeah, the whole vibe of the book was set by that first Fate Index role. And we spent 20 chapters pulling ourselves out of this catastrophe. That was the first thing that was supposed to happen. (laughs) We definitely made some choices with the Fate Index this time, at least to start. Before we start getting submissions from listeners, there are sort of broader plot points that will lead us in a direction without sticking us in a specific place. You roll first, my friend. Let's do it. Okay, I got a 16. A 16. <laughs> Rules are disregarded. <laughs> Sounds like us. It, yeah, I was going to say, this. Uh, 
if you think about this in the context of the entire story, this is a bit of a cop out, but I like the idea of especially when you're dealing with, you know, a primitive era and concepts like religion that kind of keep people pulled together. This could be really interesting. This could be really something cool to play off of. So actually, this is a great role. I'm actually excited about it. And I did, wasn't paying attention to this one in, in the beginning. So I'm pretty, pretty pumped. Yeah, I think that this is a good starting role. It, it is definitely a good way to lay a foundation with somebody deciding not to follow the rules. Yep. Okay, and I have rolled a six. A weakness is discovered by accident. Oof. Interesting. That is one that I was hoping was going to show up once we had something, you know, like a bad monster or something. (laughs) But, you know, it could be a weakness of society. It could be a weakness of a person. There's all sorts of weaknesses that can be discovered by accident. Oh, yeah. So interesting uh, first two roles. They're definitely not nearly as apocalyptic as our last book started. No, which makes me feel good. (laughs) Thank God. Uh, And I think they go together relatively well. Um, I mean, a lot of these actually link up pretty, pretty well. But yeah, interesting, interesting. This is this is this is good. These are okay roles. You know, the, the categories were, you know, questionable up to this point. But These are fine. We're grounded, Jeff. We're starting a story grounded. Yes. Which is amazing, and I'm excited about that. I'm starting the story laying on the ground, just weeping. (laughs) So grounded. (laughs) You're supposed to lay on the ground. That's what the tribal elders have told you. I don't want to lay on the ground anymore. I want to go to the sky. Yes. Well, you're going to discover that you're not much of a flyer, and that's a weakness in our people. So Yes, we did not roll that this story takes place not on the ground. Oh my god. I will tell you, I, we didn't talk about this earlier. I'm glad it wasn't that. Oh, I, Sky Stories just irritate me to no end. So I'm, yeah, really happy about that. Okay, well, you got to deal with rural cavemen now. <laughs> I cannot wait to make this distinction between, like, big city cavemen and rural cavemen. I, d- I just want a group of cavemen to show up in this rural area with leaf ties and loafers made of animal skin, and they just really look down on these rural cavemen. That's, in my mind, how we're going to distinguish these things, which is so silly. I'm honestly, I don't even know if I want to have cavemen. You know, I don't know. What are they? Are they men? Are they creatures? Totally. Just because we said bone hammers does not mean anything. It just means, you know, prehistoric. So, you know, there's all sorts of uh, prehistory that we can play with. Yeah. It makes me want to read some books about prehistory. So I have more ideas than the vague notions about prehistoric fantasy that I haven't read. Yeah, I mean, I I went to Quinson in France, which is where they found some of the earliest cave drawings. And that's literally all of my education on prehistory outside of the show Land of the Lost. (laughs) So yeah, I need to probably read a little tiny bit as well. But again, we don't have to be cemented to this concept of our prehistory. We didn't really dictate that. We didn't say historical fiction, you know? So I feel like even though these are kind of focused and funneled categories, I think we have some fun things we can do to play with it a little bit. So um, do we want ape people? Do we want mouse people? Do we want lizard people or something weird that no one's ever heard of? I'm not sure, but I'm excited. Yeah, there's a lot of places that we can take this. Thank you to everybody for tuning in to the intro episode to this season. I will get writing the first chapter using these parameters. Uh, If you like what you hear, please tell other people to listen to our podcast. That's the best way for us to get new listeners and to get people who will be excited and want to participate in the story. Because really, the funnest part of telling this story is getting the weird 
listener submissions for the Fate Index that absolutely pushed the story in bizarre places. And in the first story, the Fate Index pushed that story to a place we never would have gone, and we were so happy that it did. (laughs) At times. At times. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, We're on social media. Please follow us on Instagram or Facebook so you can get updates about what we're up to. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.